Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. And uh, we're in our series. We've titled Living the Dream, talking about Joseph the Dreamer, and a reminder of where we're at in this chapter. So we started in Joseph's life in uh, Genesis chapter number 37, and I I brought a message that was uh, entitled Living the Dream, but when the dream looks more like a nightmare. And you know, sometimes following God doesn't always look like our perfectly fulfilled dreams. And this was a season of betrayal. His brothers physically um, beat him, they, they rejected him, they betrayed him, they sold him into slavery. Then last Sunday night was uh, Genesis 38, a chapter that is really for mature audiences. We talked about it last, last week. Not the most fun, warm, fuzzy uh, feeling chapter. It was a little bit of a break in Joseph's life to give us a little story about the life of Judah. And we talked last week about where will your sin, where will your sins lead you? And we saw um, some things we, can, we should learn. And by the way, the Bible says, be not ignorant of Satan's devices. We need to know about what his tricks are and how sin works in our lives so that with God's help, we can fight it. And really, we're going to see that tonight in Joseph's life. That was last week, where will your sin lead you. Tonight where we pick it up, Joseph is now in his new home, although it doesn't feel like home. And by the way, when you read the Bible, put yourself in the story. Remember what's happening. Think about, try to picture what's happening there and and feel what he's feeling. He's in his new home, but it doesn't feel like home. It's a new country. He's 17 years old. He's, he's still, where we're going to pick it up, he may still have um, some bruises, he may still have some dried blood, we don't know from when his brothers beat him up. He's in his new home, and, and he's in Egypt, he's in a foreign land, in a foreign culture, the, he doesn't recognize the language, he doesn't recognize the people, he doesn't know anyone, he doesn't, the, the food tastes funny to him, he's never eaten food like this. Everything is new in his life. And it's all, he's, he's healing from his wounds, both physical, personal, relational, spiritual, maybe at times crying himself to sleep. He's a confused young man. He's a hurt young man, undoubtedly. He's a scared young man. What's the rest of my life going to look like? And we pick it up here in Genesis 39, and tonight's message I've titled, When the Dream Includes Injustice. When the dream... So we saw living the dream when the, when the dream sometimes feels like a nightmare with his brothers, but the dream included betrayal back in chapter 37, when the dream includes injustice, when things just aren't fair. All of us have experienced that, haven't we? Whether in school, whether with parents, you know, uh, we have five children. There have been times we have not treated our children with perfect justice. There are times when one that didn't do something got in trouble because we didn't understand what was happening, or they got in trouble maybe for something they should not have. There's injustice in our homes. You know, there's injustice at school. Maybe that teacher played favorites or this happened. There's injustice at work. And sometimes it's small things, and sometimes it's really big things. You ever see any of those like a 2020 or a, a one of those shows where it's somebody that's been imprisoned for decades and then all of a sudden evidence comes out uh, that, that, that exonerates them and it's very clear they could have never done it? Think about that injustice. 
They didn't deserve to be there for weeks or months or years or decades of their lives. And you know, at times in our lives, we will deal with injustice. Let's pick up and let's take a walk through this chapter tonight and learn some things from Joseph, one of the most beautiful pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, Joseph, let's look number one at Joseph's testimony. Verse number one. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. So he gets him, they've come down, hey, we've got some new property, we've got a slave for you, we bought him for 20 pieces of silver, here you go, do whatever you want with him, put him to work. We've got one of those Israelite boys, you can do whatever you want with him. And the Lord, would you read the first, uh, what is that, six words of verse two aloud up to Joseph. Ready? Begin. And the Lord was with Joseph. What a testimony. And he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw what, church? That the Lord was with him. And that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight. So, all of a sudden, he's kind of like, instead of just being a prisoner, instead of just being a slave, instead of just being a piece of meat that they could use, he starts to say, there's something different about this guy. I like this guy. And I, I, think, I, think, I, think, I think we could maybe use this guy. There's something about this guy. It says he found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he, so Potiphar, Pharaoh, they make him overseer. He, he made him overseer over his house. And all that he had, he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in the house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field, his personal life, his professional life. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. Get the picture here, if not the most powerful, definitely one of the most powerful people on earth takes a liking to Joseph and realizes there's something different about this guy. And, and he, he says, hey, and kind of, you know, he promotes him here and makes him, uh, makes him a, a shift supervisor, and then he makes him a manager, and then he makes him a district manager, and then a regional manager, and then he's, he keeps moving up. And all of a sudden, before he knows it, Joseph is the CEO of Egypt Enterprises. He's overseeing all of these things. And the Bible says that, that this guy didn't know any of his affairs, only what he ate. Just, hey, I know I've got enough food to eat. I don't have to worry about it. This is how much trust he had in Joseph. What a testimony. And by the way, what was the difference? The difference was not Joseph's whim, uh, wit, or charm. It was not his humor. The difference was the Lord was with Joseph. The difference was the presence of God in Joseph's life. The Lord was with him. There was something different about Joseph, and it wasn't Joseph. This is what we should desire. This is what we should crave when people, not, not even what people think, but what the Lord knows. When, 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 when we look at our own lives, there's something different about that person. Why? Because it's very clear the Lord is with him. God is blessing him. He knows God. He trusts God, and I can trust him. This is an amazing testimony. Again, not a self-help solution. Well, I want to I rise up in my company. 
Not a self-help solution, but, but a, a desire to know the Savior personally and intimately. This is what we should crave. I see here in this section of these verses, I see in verse number two that God's presence in our lives supersedes circumstances. The Lord was with him. God's presence in Joseph's life superseded circumstances. When things were going good and everything was happy in his family, and when he was lost and alone and scared and wounded, the Lord was with him. God's presence in your life can supersede circumstances. I see in verse 3 that God's presence in our lives will be evident to others. Verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him. This is interesting because the Egyptians were a godless people. They, they didn't serve or worship the God of the Bible, but even the unbelievers could see there's something different about that person. Does anybody around us see that there's something different about us? Something different about our work ethic, something different about our joy, something different about our spirit, something different about our marriage, something different about our love for our children, something different about the way we approach things, something different about the way that we handle our money. Does, does anyone around us, God's presence in Joseph's life was evident to even the unbelievers around him? I see in verse 4 that God's presence in our lives will give us opportunities. Verse 4, because he found grace in his sight, uh, doors were opened, and God used him in great ways. God is looking for people that he can trust. The Bible tells us that the parable of the talents, God's looking for a good investment. It's, he entrusts things to our care, and we use it for his glory. He says, let me give you more, and let me use you in greater ways. God's presence in our lives as we stay close to him will give us more opportunities for impact and for influence. And I see in verse number five that God's presence in our lives will impact others positively. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs, the just man walketh in his integrity. And what does it say? And his children are blessed after him. The just man walks in his integrity. And what happens? There's a blessing that comes on his kids because of the life he chooses to live. Isn't that what happened here in verse, verse number five? It said that the, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. God's presence in our lives will impact others positively. What a testimony. When people were to describe you or if people were to describe me, how would they describe us? Oh, he's fun or she's funny. He's impressive. She's got it all together. Oh, they're, they're really successful or... God is with that person. The Lord is with her. You can tell that he knows God. You can tell that she walks with God. Wow, God is working in and through them. What a challenge to see Joseph's testimony. And then we see in verse number seven, Joseph's temptation. Verse number seven, a young man, a young single man with great power and success. He's risen up the ranks very quickly. Verse number seven. Would you read it aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me. Now it's been said, usually those that have great power and great resources and great wealth usually end up marrying beautiful people. It's very likely that this was a beautiful woman that had access to all kinds of wealth. And a young single man who's been blessed greatly, risen up through the ranks, and now there is a great temptation that comes on this young man early on. 
And a reminder here that the Bible says that Satan is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. No matter who you are, you and I, all of us, we will face temptations from three areas. We will face temptations from within. The Bible talks about when a man is drawn away, enticed of his own lusts. We will, we will face temptations from our flesh, our sinful flesh, temptations from within. We will face temptations from without the world, the influences of this world. That's what happened here to Joseph. He was faced with the temptation of the world, and we will face temptations from below, the devil. Doesn't the Bible say that? The world, the flesh, the devil. Within our flesh, without the world, below the devil, we will be tempted. I often, as, as God's blessed us with five children, and three of them uh, were in their teen years, now we have one that's in their early 20s and a couple teenagers still, and then a 12 and, and nine-year-old. Often when I'm with pastors, I was with, when I'm with Dr. Keene, I sat in, in a hotel over here a few years ago for hours just writing notes and talking. I actually remember uh, when I was in Santa Clara, um, picking up for the airport and asking for when my kids, my oldest was like five years old, asking him for parenting advice. And I still remember some of the things he told me. I'll often ask those that have reared children, help me, and we're, we're in this season, and what did you learn here, and what would you, what would you encourage us here, and what would you say there? And I had one pastor that said, I heard him say, he said, I believe that Satan makes a strong attempt on, on every young person's life somewhere in those formative years of their teens and their 20s to derail them, to scar them, to, to create some things. And I don't know that I can necessarily prove that as a blanket statement, but that's exactly what happened to Joseph. Satan makes an attempt that if, if Joseph gives in, it will derail much of what God is going to use him to do to impact many in the coming chapters that we're going to study. He made an attempt, and young people, I would say to you, be very careful. Stay close to God. You need the Lord with you. I do believe, and by the way, that doesn't mean once you become maybe late 20s or early 30s that you don't face temptation anymore. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want to derail the 40-year-old or the 50-year-old. I mean, I'm sorry, Satan doesn't want to derail the 40-year-old or the 50-year-old or the 60-year-old. It doesn't mean once you get to a certain age, I'm free of temptation. I'm free of sin. That's not what I'm saying, but I do think there's something about the sins of our youth. There is something about Satan making a strong play to derail and destroy young people in their teen years and in their formative, maybe their 20s there, to get them to carry with them scars and regrets and, and maybe baggage and consequences in their lives for the rest of their lives because of what the psalmist called, remember not the sins of my youth. It may be through friends or through an, an internet addiction or through immorality or through alcohol or drugs or some other substance. So many of those things, they become strongholds in, in all of our lives, but really often they begin in those teen and, and young adult years. If, if he could get Joseph off track here, much of the rest of his life and influence for God may have been derailed. Be not ignorant of his devices. So we see Joseph's testimony, but then we see his temptation. A young man with a very hard to resist temptation. How's he gonna respond? We see, number three, we see Joseph's integrity. Look at verse number eight. Would you read the first three words of verse eight aloud with me, ready? Begin. But he, he refused. I, it reminds me when I read that of Moses, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
He was offered the world, Moses was, and he said, oh no, God is better than the world. I refuse to get involved in that. But he refused. Look what he says. There's a great pattern for, for a young person to resist temptation, really for all of us, and we'll, we'll look at it here in a moment. He, he refused. He said unto his master's wife, behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house. He doesn't know. He's committed all that he has to my hand. Verse 9, there is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand. You see the next two words, that verb, and fled and got him out. He refused, and he fled. I see here Joseph's integrity when no one was watching, when no one was around, when no one would know what he did, when it was just between him and one other person. He was, he was a man of integrity. The Lord was with him. And I think from Joseph, we learn a really helpful pattern of uh, 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 what we can learn. How do we resist temptation in those darkest and, and most difficult times when we're by ourselves. And I see here in verse number eight, what, what will often help to keep us from succumbing to life-altering temptations? I would suggest, number one, a love for those who have invested in you. A love for those who have invested in you. Verse number eight, what does he say? He says here, you're my master's wife. My ma your, ma your husband has trusted me. He's given everything. I couldn't break his heart like this. Even if I wanted to, even if I might enjoy it for a moment, I can't do this. He's been too good to me. My father-in-law would often tell the story growing up uh, in, in, the, in the 50s and early 60s, cigarettes were, were much more popular and very cool in our society to be involved with. And he always, he, was, he grew up in a deacon's home and he would tell the story, I, I always wanted to smoke a cigarette. I, always, I had even a friend in high school that would smoke cigarettes with his parents around the dinner table. And I always wanted to smoke a cigarette. And he said this, he said, and there were one or two times where friends had them and they offered. And he said, I can't explain it, but whenever that happened, my dad's face would come to my mind. And I would say, I can't break his heart. Really, that's what happens to Joseph here. How could I do this? Your husband's been nothing but good to me. Young person, before you give in to that temptation, stop and think what that's going to do to your mom or your dad. Husband, stop and think what that's going to do to your wife. Wife, stop and think what that's going to do to your husband. Pastor, Stop and think what's that, what that's going to do to the, your church family and to the name of Christ. Church family, stop and think, church member, what that's going to do to those, those other church families that look up to you and appreciate you. One of the things that will help us when we're faced with temptation is to remember those who have invested in us. And is this pleasure in my life worth the heartache in theirs? Not only, not only did he, did he not do it for a love for those who had invested in him, but also, do you see, and this one's an even bigger one, I think. He did it because of a love for God. Do you see it in verse number nine? There is none greater in this house than I. He goes on, and what does he say at the very end? 
how then can I do this great wickedness and sin where? Against God. What did the psalmist say when confronted with his sin against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this wickedness? Stop and think about this is a sin against God, the one that created me, the one who died for me, the one who saved me. How can I do this against your husband? How can I do this against my master? How can I do this against the one that's invested in me? And then how can I do this against God? Yes, my flesh would enjoy it. Yes, my flesh wants that. But you know what? It's not worth breaking those hearts of them that love me, and it's not worth breaking God's heart. And by the way, sin always breaks hearts of those around us and the heart of God. He said, how can I do these things? And then I would suggest, number three, he, he resisted and refused temptation because not only a love for those who had invested in him and a love for God, but he had an eye on the future. You can see it here. He says, he's given me everything. He's given me so much opportunity. I don't want to throw all that away. God, God's using me, and there's a great blessing, and God has a great future ahead of me. And, and it's been said, don't give up what you want most for what you want in the moment. Young person, uh, middle-aged person, old, older person, let's not live in the moment. Let's ask God to help us. The, the prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. The simple pass on and are punished. Think about what is this going to do to your life down the road? What opportunities will this make take away? What heartache will this bring? What, picture yourself having to, to talk about that and deal with it. Don't only live in the moment. I know that's easier said than done because the flesh only cares about the moment, but the spirit cares about the longer term and say, God, would you help me and bring some accountability partners into your life and have some people that you can talk to. I struggle with this, and when I do, I'm going to text you or I'm going to call you and uh, you text me every night and ask me how I'm doing with that or how things are going there. Why? Don't just think about how it's going to make you feel today, think about what it's going to mean tomorrow. He said, I can't do that. Your husband's been too good to me. I can't do that. God's been too good to me. I can't do that. Think about what that will mean for my life tomorrow. Oh, it will feel good today, but it's not going to feel good tomorrow. Tears will be shed tomorrow. Consequences will come tomorrow. Broken relationships will happen tomorrow. Don't give up what you want most for what you want in the moment. You ever see a dog where the owner puts a treat that that dog desperately wants right on the tip of their nose? I've used this illustration once or twice before, but I always think about it with this idea of temptation. And they put that treat that the dog would give anything for right on their nose. And the dog, and then they tell them, stay. Resist temptation. Don't give in to temptation. Don't. And you ever see a well-trained dog that does that? Now, if you did that to my dogs, they would just eat it and run away. It wouldn't care. There'd be no, they're not well-trained. Anybody here have a, a dog you can do that with? You have a dog that you can, uh, some of you have a dog like mine. Have you have a dog like mine that's really bad with their temptations? Anybody have a dog like that, that, that they'll resist that temptation? And I've got a, I think it's a 25-second little clip here of a dog doing this. I want you to look where the dog's eyes are as the treat goes on the nose. Leave it. Come here. Put your hand up. Good girl. 
Good, leave it. Good, leave it. Good girl. Get it. Good girl. Did you see where the dog's eyes were as the temptation was here? Kept his eyes or her eyes on the master. The desire to please the master was greater than the desire for the temptation. The desire to obey the master was greater than everything inside of that dog. Probably drool getting in the, in the glands there in the mouth, wanting that treat so much. But that dog on some level has been trained that my desire to please my master, I'm going to keep my eyes, I'm going to look past the temptation that's on the tip of my nose, and I'm going to look past that, keep my eyes on the master. Why? Because my desire to please the master is greater than my desire to please myself in that moment. And by the way, even the dog understands that my master's not going to keep any good thing from me. So if this is okay for me to have, if this is a good thing, my master will give it to me in good time. There's a trust of the master. There's an obedience of the master. There's a desire to please the master in their lives. Hey, can, I, can we church family work to love our master more than the temporary treats that bring us fleeting pleasure? Can we keep our eyes on the master more than the temptations that are at the tip of our nose? And I see also with Joseph here a reminder that victory over today's temptation is not enough for tomorrow. Do you see it in verse number 10? And it came to pass as she spoke to Joseph. Do you see those next three words? Day by day. Victory over today's temptation isn't enough for tomorrow. Temptation, our flesh, is going to be weak again. The world is going to be strong again. Satan is going to be real again. And so we have to, what did Paul say about his own life? He said, I die daily. Every day I mortify my flesh. I deaden my flesh. Every day I surrender, as we sang this morning, I surrender my eyes and my life and my ears and my, my body and my spirit and my thoughts. God, you have them today. And God, I'm weak, but you're strong. God, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. God, would you deliver me today? I need your strength because mine is not enough. God, I need to keep my eyes on you and not on the temptation. God, I know you won't withhold any good thing from me. Uh, God, would you help me day? by day. Joseph was a man of integrity. What did he do? He resisted temptation. It says in verse 8, but he refused. But he didn't only resist it. There was a time that came that he fled it. And by the way, there are certain times in our lives that we have to resist temptation, and there are other times that we flee it. We just have to get away from it. We just have to get far from it. That's where at times we can put up barriers in our lives. By the way, barriers will never, it's a heart issue. Barriers will never keep us from sinning. But barriers, why barriers can help us in moments of weakness not to go off the cliff. Isn't that the whole point of a guardrail if you're driving on the mountain? Now, you still need to know how to drive. You can still go over a cliff when a guardrail's there if you don't know how to drive. You still need to, to be, keep your eyes on the road and go in the right way. But if there's a momentary lapse or, or a sneeze or whatever happens, that guardrail will be there. And so in our lives, we've got to at times resist temptation, but other times the Bible says resist the devil and he will 
will flee from you, but other times we have to flee temptation. I'm not going to get near it. In Proverbs 7, it says it this way, come not nigh or near the door of her house. Talking about the strange woman, the one that has destroyed many lives, it doesn't say don't go into her room. It doesn't say don't go into her home. It says don't get near her front door. What is that saying? Don't just resist temptation, but flee temptation. There should be some things in your life I'm not going to get close to. I'm not going to get near those things, because if we stay around too long, we will make a mistake. The flesh is weak, as the Spirit is often willing. And maybe it's time we've got to turn that computer off, or delete that social network, or block that phone number, or change that work schedule, or stop talking to that friend, or stop going to that restaurant, or that bar, or whatever that temptation is. Have a loved one. Put a password on that app. Get in God's Word. Seek some accountability partners. Joseph had integrity when no one was watching, when seemingly no one would find out. But we see in his life, he resisted temptation, but he also fled temptation. We see that he remembered all those that had invested in him and how it would break their hearts. We see that the Lord was with him, and he realized, I can't do this against God. We see that he realized the consequences that would come in his future, and all of those things together, a real relationship with God, and all of these other things gave Joseph the power to resist a really hard temptation for most to resist. D.L. Moody famously said, character is what you are in the dark. How's your integrity? How's my integrity? How are we doing refusing, resisting temptation? How are we doing fleeing temptation? So, it's been a good story so far, hasn't it? What a good guy. You would think, great guy. Lord's with him, rose up in power. Somebody came to try to derail him, get him off track. Satan made a play on his life. He resisted it. This is going to be a story with a great ending, Keith. They're going to live happily ever after. This is going to be awesome. A man that lives for God like that, God is just going to pour his blessings out on him. And life is going to get even better. He made the right choice. Let's find out what happens in verse number 13. Where we picked it up, he had run out of the house, and, and he ran so fast that she had her, his coat in her hand. Isn't it interesting? The coat is always a part of Joseph's story. Verse 13, and it came to pass, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in in Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass, when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which he spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me that his wrath was kindled, as would any of us if we had heard that same story with someone in our lives. In verse 20, and so what does Joseph get for doing right? What does Joseph get for honoring God with his life? What does Joseph get for resisting temptation? Verse 20, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. We see here when the dream includes injustice. Joseph's injustice. Does that seem fair to you? Does that seem right to you? Does that sound like the TV preacher, live for God and everything gets better? 
By the way, I already preached it. It does get better, but it doesn't get easier. Live for God, and this is your year of breakthrough? Breaking through what? The prison? This is your year of favor? This is going to be the year you get that promotion? Joseph lived for God, and he got a demotion. Joseph lived for God, and he got an attempted rape charge. Joseph lived for God, and he got a stain on his name. Joseph lived for God, and he lost his career. Sometimes the dream includes injustice. Life isn't always fair. Living for God is a wonderfully blessed life, but it's not always an easy life. Living in a fallen, broken world means that things don't always turn out the way we expected or hoped or even prayed or feel like, based on our choices and our actions, we deserve. This feels undeserved. Not only does it feel undeserved, it was undeserved. Joseph didn't deserve to be in prison. And I don't know where you're at or what you've, but there might be some things in your life that, humanly speaking, you don't deserve. It's not the right consequences for the actions and the path you've chosen. Oh, we could understand somebody that spits in the face of God and mocks him and lives an openly rebellious, sinful lifestyle. We could understand why someone like that might end up in jail or someone like that might end up with a broken home or a broken life. And we can understand, well, look at what they did. They made their choices. But sometimes heartaches and burdens and discouragements and disappointments and injustices Come to those who've done nothing but try to live for God. By the way, you look back to chapter 36, 37, I, I mean, this wasn't his first injustice, was it? It wasn't his first injustice. It wasn't fair what his brothers did to him. Sometimes we have hardship and struggles as consequences for our own foolish, sinful choices. Other times we have hardship and struggles even though we've done our best to live righteously, godly, and consistently for God. Often, often the moments of injustice and disappointment are used of God as part of his perfect plan in our lives, but we almost never can see that in the moment. God used all of this in Joseph's life. We get the spoiler alert. We get the full story. All of this was used in mighty ways as part of God's plan, but when you're in the prison, when you're in the moment, it almost never feels right. How did Joseph respond when he was done wrong? How did Joseph respond when he was lied about? How did Joseph respond when he was falsely imprisoned? He started a podcast to talk about how life wasn't fair. <laughs> he wrote a book about how God had failed him. He grew bitter and angry and, and vowed never to walk into a church again. Is that what Joseph did? The last thought we see, and we'll wrap it up, we see Joseph's consistency. Would you read verse number 21? Verse 21, let's read it aloud. Ready? Begin. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Where did we start in verse number two? And the Lord was with Joseph. That's in the palace. And what does it say of him in the prison? And the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph was a man that knew the personal presence of God. He had a real relationship with God that superseded circumstances, that kept him while he was a slave, that kept him while he was a man in power, that kept him while he was a prisoner. Joseph's consistency, he did right when it was recognized and it led to promotions, 
and he did right when it was lied about and led to imprisonment. Joseph was a man of integrity no matter what it led to in his life. A man of righteousness, a man of honesty, a man of, of, of holiness. He was the same in the prison as he was in the palace. The same in the place of blessing as he was in the place of desolation. He was the same when being promoted and, he was, and when he was being persecuted. Verse number 22, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Again, a reminder, God's power in our lives and God's presence in our lives cannot be thwarted by man's actions in our lives. The same thing that happened in the palace happened in the prison. Only now he just wasn't getting paid for it. He didn't have the, promote, the, the title, but he's now running the prison. Before he was running the palace, and now he's running the prison. And the prison guard's like, this is sweet. Joseph's a good, he just takes care of everything. He's a man of leadership. He's a man of integrity. I can trust him. And Joseph was the same when everything was going good, and he was the same when everything was going as bad as it could possibly be going. By the way, think about Joseph in the prison. Is there any future in his life, in the career he had been in? Any future at all? No, he's not getting another government job. They're not hiring him back to work in the Egyptian government. After he attempted that with Pharaoh's wife, with Potiphar's wife, he's not, he's not getting that. There was no hope, but yet Joseph's kept doing right. The Lord was with him. Wasn't it Paul that said, I've learned how to be abased and how to abound? How to be full and how to be hungry? How to have everything I need and how to have nothing that I need? I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content, to be instant in season and out of season. Have you learned that tonight? Or are you a prisoner of your circumstances? God's good when things are good. I, and I'm not against this, but I find myself, and even on social media at times, or I'm talking to people, or, or texting someone, man, we had an amazing day, great spirit in church, this life got changed, this family got baptized, God's good. You know what I never say? We had a terrible day, worst offering of the year, angry email, deacons are trying to vote me out, God's good. Guess what? God's good no matter the circumstances. But you know where we often give him credit for being good? When things are, the things we want are good. And when I lose my job or I get the call from the doctor or this disappointment happens or that person lies about me or this loved one breaks my heart, at that time we doubt his goodness, don't we? But Joseph said, with my dad obeying him, God's good. My brother sold me into slavery, God's good. Got promoted in Potiphar's house, God's good. Got lied about by Potiphar's wife, ended up in prison, God's good. Are you a prisoner of circumstances? God's only good when things are going good? Or like Joseph, are you a consistent, committed, consecrated Christian that says, when people recognize what I'm doing and, and I, I get the right reward for it, I'm going to do right. And when people lie about what I'm doing and I get the wrong reward for it, I'm going to do right. You know what we can't control? Circumstances. 
You know what we can control? Our closeness to Christ. Our character. Our, our Christ-likeness. Our commitment to God, our consecration. We can't control how others view those things. We can control our actions, our consistency. So here's my challenge to you tonight. Walk with God when it's going well. And walk with God when it's not. And have the joy of the Lord when you get the raise. And have the joy of the Lord when you don't know how you're going to pay the bills this month. And do right when no one's watching. And do right when everyone's watching. And trust God when it leads to blessing. And trust God when it seems like I'm getting a bunch of injustice here. This isn't fair. This doesn't seem right. Do right when you're loved by others. And do right when you're lied about by others. Be defined by your relationship with God in the palace. And be defined by your relationship with God in the prison. Both people, the prison guard and the palace keeper said, the Lord is with this guy. There's something different about him. Sometimes living the dream is going to include some injustice. Things aren't going to be fair. You're going to be done wrong. You're going to be mistreated. You're going to be lied about. How will you respond and how will I respond when injustice comes, when temptation comes? when hurt and betrayal come. Let's be like Joseph who found the secret to all of that. The Lord was with him. If that is true, that the Lord is with me, Joseph said, then I can thrive in any season and in any circumstance. If it's true that God is with you, you can thrive in any season and in any circumstance. Joseph's testimony, the Lord was with him. Joseph's temptation. Let's learn from how he resisted and fled temptation. Joseph's injustice, but Joseph's integrity. And then Joseph's consistency. When it was going well, he was the same man as when it wasn't going well. What a great, great leader in Scripture for us to learn from. And by the way, Joseph had the same struggles and the same sin nature that all of us have. But let's be people that it can be truly set up. The Lord is with them. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series. 